You were listening to episode 275 of the Game Players Podcast. My name's John, and this week I'm joined by Joel. Hi. <laughs> you lost the magic in the first one. It's all about the spontaneity. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, this is take two. Uh, well, Ryan's not able to join us this week, so we did kind of promise Foam Stars and maybe Silent Hill. We'll hold that off till a future episode. But here on the Game of Players podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and uh, we're talking Dungeons and Dragons again. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? always changing it's I always mean, what it's always changing i mean we're getting a new edition sometime this year yeah uh but we're gonna have a few different topics i'll kind of lead into the our 5.5 edition 5.5 version one whatever the hell they're calling it now uh but on this episode we're going to be talking about tips and tricks uh for playing D online and just various tools that we've utilized uh, platforms to enhance the experience and so on uh, we are going to talk about challenges and controversies in D&D, so like rules disputes. So when somebody gets pissed off about railroading or, you know, you kind of went about it a different manner uh, in the rule state, dilemmas, I don't know, social issues, maybe talk about I mean, about you're that. the DM, just nuke them from your game. Yeah, pretty much, right? Rule yeah, zero. That's, that, that's, that's good player and yeah. game running etiquette. Just, you know, fuck you, it's my game. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then playing with level 20 characters, is it worth the hype? Uh, but of course, first, you can find us on thegameinflators.com. You can also find us on social media uh, at Game Deflators on X, at The Game Deflators on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. We're also on YouTube, and we're on a podcast app. Lots of podcast apps. You're on one right now. Leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. All right, let's kick off to what we're currently playing. Or actually, our recent pickups. Uh, I haven't really picked up anything. I got a back catalog of old games. So when I'm, things just pop up on sale... Or I see something interesting, or back when Xbox had games with gold, I just pick stuff up, download it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been working through a back catalog. I think uh, <laughs> some two of the most recent games I played were Xbox uh, games with golds, and then I'm playing uh, the open world game um, uh, Just Cause. So you can ask me why. Just Cause. Just cause. Yeah. Didn't we do that joke on the last time you were recording with us? I don't know. Uh, or maybe, you know what? It might have. You know what? It might have been Ryan actually. Really? I don't remember. It might have been Ryan, well, or maybe you and I were talking. I'm while playing we were the third D&D. iteration. I know the most recent one is four, but I never got around to playing three, and I've cracked that one open. And then before that was um, kind of a uh, throwback, eight uh, bit style game. Um, actually, I would I should push that up. It's more like a thirty two bit. And it's uh, called Lamentum. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a survival horror, but it's like a top-down isometric map design, like just running around. Um, and then before that, uh, The Adventures of PB Winterbottom, hmm. which was... Uh, did you ever play Braid? I'm trying to remember. Honestly, I don't... Let me look it up. Like, you keep talking. Braid was one up. of those games that had a kind of a time mechanic to it. So um, some of the levels, like if you moved forward, um, like when you moved, everything in the level moved. Or if you moved back, it moved back. Um, I did not play this one, but it does look interesting, actually. Yeah. Well, the storyline was kind of 
I won't spoil the storyline, but it, I mean, it's been out for a while, but essentially you're off to rescue the princess and uh, you like make realizations platforms. along the way. Well, there's, it's more of a, like a modern day realization along the way as you're, you're going through and it's like more of the story gets revealed, but the um, running backwards, like with some of the games, you, you go backwards and like the, or sorry, some of the levels you like, you run backwards and the game would move forwards and like you would have to set up different like time delays and it was all um some of them was score attacks can you pick up everything in the level some of it is time attack like finish it within this amount or don't lose a life don't have to repeat it things like that um the pb winterbottom one is interesting just mechanically um you basically collect, create clones of yourself so really all you have is kind of a double jump ability and he's got a little umbrella he pulls out and the whole game is about you collecting pies you have a giant nose and you're sexually attracted to the aromas of pies you say you're sexually attracted to pies uh i mean it, i i wouldn't put it past him at this point in that game i mean how much he loves pies i tried to catch <laughs> on that one it didn't work I was hoping you'd say, yeah. 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 Well, Joel, let's clip that for you. Let's talk about cherry and apple. (laughs) Um, Warm apple pie. Warm apple pie. But uh, you float um, with your umbrella. You can hit your clones and bounce them around, uh, or you can pre-program them, and they'll loop. So you have to solve and collect basically everything on the screen. You can create jumping bridges of your clones so one's jumping on another one's head while you're jumping on the next one and you just keep doing that um just mechanically wise kind of cool um but yeah i'm just having a blast with just cause three right now nice just however i want to destroy things you know grappling tank just piss off a bunch of people so a tank shows up take that grab a helicopter throw a guy out of it launch some missiles at what i need to destroy Oh no! They blew up my helicopter. Jump out, parachute over, jack Blow another helicopter. Up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just do helicopter jumping from helicopter to helicopter, blowing crap up in the process. Works out. Yeah, it's always fun. So um, pickup wise, I had Plague Tale Requiem is the game I picked up. So yes. funny. So we had. Oh, I did have two pickups. I forgot. Well, what are they? Uh, I got Pillars of Eternity and. Um, the Outer Worlds. I haven't played oh. them yet, but I picked them up. Yeah. That, see, I was going to say, you definitely had a pickup because you were at GameStop when I went to GameStop randomly last week. So a little backstory here. Um, and if you if you haven't heard Joel in the podcast before, too, just kind of state it now. Joel DMs a campaign for us, uh, the Witchlight campaign currently, um, but also Homebrew and other campaigns that we've done. And then I obviously DM uh, right now Strixhaven, and he is in my campaign, too. And we've talked D&D in prior episodes. So catch if you, it says, yeah. If this is your first D&D episode, look back at, you know, Dungeons and Dragons all day, every day, part one through four or something. And we're, we're on there several times. Um, but that said, uh, the backstory here is after Ryan and I recorded, we had to go do dinner uh, with some friends last Sunday night. And so we all went out to go get dinner. And it's probably about, I don't know, 10 minutes before we were a little early. And I'm like, oh, there's a GameStop in the shopping center. Let's go in there. And as we pull up, Jill's fiance is walking out of the GameStop. And I'm like, huh. Somebody had the same idea. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. We were there actually in like an hour earlier looking through other stores and she was like, it's time to go to dinner. I'm like, we didn't go to the store I wanted to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my wife, obviously we're, we're like, you know, kind of driving through. She's like, oh, there's a GameStop there. And I looked at the clock. I was like, oh yeah, we got 10 minutes. She's like, oh, well 
are you going to go in? I'm like, uh, absolutely. I like, how often do I just come to a GameStop? Like I, I rarely do. And they happen to have Plague Tale Requiem and I had my $5 off coupon. And I was like, all right, screw it. And then you bought something. So I got whatever points from your I purchase. know I saved 60 cents. Thank you. You saved 60 cents and I got 40 or 50 points, whatever it comes down to. Yeah. So it worked out. Yeah. It was, a, I, I look forward to cracking them open at some point. Yeah. But once again, I'm just adding to the backlog of games. I mean, you see my games. I got way too big of a backlog. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I picked up Plague Tale Requiem because I, I absolutely loved the first one. And it just made sense to buy this one. I got it. I think it was like, I want to say it was 20 bucks used. And I had my $5 off coupon. It came with like $18 or $19 for it. I mean, the game was 70 bucks like last year, year and a half ago. So definite steal on that. Was it? Is it already a year and a half old? It's, it's been out for a while. Now that I think about it. I think it came out 2022 or yeah. 2023. I don't remember. I don't know. But it's been out for a while. It was 60, 70 bucks for a good bit there. It's down, obviously, in price. So I picked it up used. And uh, I think it was totally worth it at that point. Uh, and then as far as currently playing, so last week, I don't think it was beat yet. So I'll just kind of call it out here. But Tiny Tina's Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Um, wife and I actually went ahead and beat that, uh, completed that title. Uh, you know, it was, I hate, I hate to say like I didn't like it. I did like it because there's a lot of like fun humor and all of that. Yeah. I'm just not a fan of like the looter shooter like you shoot somebody and like it explodes and there's five different weapons and then you got to pick, Oh, which weapon's better than the other. And to me, it just, it isn't fun digging through like tons and tons of weapons. You gotta go in there with an open inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Every single time you gotta go in with an open inventory and it's like, you, you only got 36 slots in that game. So it's like, okay, great. You're going to give me every single level, like 200 different types of weapons that I could potentially pick up with maybe an ability to sell at some point in the game. And you know, and then there was like material based items like clothing and you would have to go to like another location to put the clothing on to be able to actually like get it out of your inventory. So like over time, our inventory reduced and we were too lazy to go to uh, Bright Hoof in the game. Oh, like those. Um, it's like a changing station type deal. Yeah, it's the customization stuff where you pick up uh, color uh, like color palette unlocks and yeah. uh, I want to say outfits. And like you can go, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I didn't play Tiny Tina's Wonderland, but I remember the DLC for two was like the D and D themed one, Mm -hmm. and that one was pretty fun. It's it's fun with the humor aspects, like the the Mm -hmm. whole component of like she's a DM um, playing bunkers and badasses instead of Dungeons and Dragons, right? And so, oh, is this is this another expansion on that again? No, it's literally a full out game of her. Well, I don't know, maybe it is an expansion, but it's a it's a straight up like from start to finish adventure. Like, hey, you've started this adventure, and I'm leading it as a DM, and we're gonna do all of these different things to get to the end boss. Okay, so it's straight up. It's a campaign basically. It's like 12, 13 hours, I want to say. Okay, yeah, because yeah, the the DLC for Borderlands Two, um was roughly i want to say three to four um but i mean the the last borderlands game i played was the pre-sequel and while there was a lot of cool stuff about that game um they did one of the worst things you can do which is they made repeatable quests that were far distances away so you couldn't pick them up. Like Borderlands 2, you could pick up multiple quests in an area, and then you would head out. Now, obviously, if it was like a main story campaign thing, um, you have to finish this one to start the next main story. Totally get that. But pre-sequel did that 
uh, back and forth thing where you're traveling vast distances in the game and it just get, got so repetitive running back and forth across the area. And I was just, I was over the travel. Um, more often than not also because every time you traveled this area, you're getting attacked again by stuff you just killed and destroyed on your way through the last time. Yeah, I don't know how Borderlands has like the, if they have an overworld or anything like that, but in Tiny Tina's Wonderland, you have basically where you're at is a giant D&D map that she's built out. And you're taking your character and going through like the overworld, which is like all of the different locations that you could possibly get to. And, uh, you know, they had fast travel at least. So the main area is like, oh, fast travel to Brighthoof, fast travel to this place, fast travel there. Like that wasn't an issue. Um, and even within the levels themselves that you got to, you could fast travel around. Uh, I think my biggest issues are, of course, all of the loot that you get out of the game. It's just a, a little ridiculous. And then I talked about it last week with Ryan. It's, uh, you know, when I'm playing a game and I'm leveling up, you know, like in that game, mm. I expect that as I am progressing in the game that my character is going to maintain a certain level that allows me to complete the game, you know, at average, like what it should be complete at, right? So mm -hmm. if you're at, if you've completed, say, 50% of a game and your max level in the game is 30, right? Uh -huh. Then theoretically, 15 is the level that you should be at, and it should be adequate enough to complete the next area in the main chapters. Well, so after we finished however much, we got to the next area. And it's like, oh, you're three levels under. And this game is not easy to level up in half. Like, you've got to grind quite mm -hmm. a bit fall the shooting. And so, yeah, we found ourselves having to do a bunch of, like, side quests. And it's like, man, like, we probably could have finished the game within a couple, three hours faster if we didn't have to do all these side quests. Like, in my view, the reason for side quests is that they are side quests. So you can get additional items. You can get additional levels if you choose to. You can get additional gameplay. It's not a forced function. And in this, it felt very forced. Like it's, it's always been that way with Borderlands, though. Borderlands puts in all the side quests to bump you to the level that you should be. However, I will say for like Borderlands 1 and 2, more often than not, by the time you reach the game, even if you didn't do a whole lot of side quests, if you did just some of them, you were already overpowered for the end boss. Now, where it got harder was on when you would go back through and like do a new game plus. So you would just keep your level and you would keep building out your skill trees and leveling up would be a lot slower, a lot harder. All the enemies would hit harder or they'd have special things that you'd have to take them down with. Like, for example... Maybe they have stronger shields, so you got to strip that off with electricity and then switch to maybe fire to burn down all their health, um, whatever you needed to work with. And it also brought in more of a less of a lone wolf shooter type for your new game plus and basically made you have to work as a team. At least Borderlands 2 was a lot like that, and they, they seemed to really lean into that more in the pre-sequel where oh no, you need this person like on your team to be able to uh, strip shields off everyone. And this person's going to be working health. This person's going to be boosting everyone else's HP or bringing their shields back faster. I mean, the one good thing I could say, well, there's more good things, but one good thing I could say about their skill trees, in the beginning, there were really well-defined roles for Borderlands 1 and even into Borderlands 2. I don't know how Tiny Tino's Wonderland works out, but with pre-sequel, you could pretty much build out any of those characters 
to be generally good at everything. We'll see. In this, you're solo. Like, you don't have any other characters you're working with, usually. Uh, you're kind of just solo. There's campaigning. no drop-in stuff like you had with uh, the Borderlands where someone could just join your game and help you? Uh, I mean, we didn't play online. It probably is in that, in that aspect. And, like, I guess I could have theoretically played, like, side-by-side. Side. We could have done co-op, but we I didn't. Mean, we played individual. One of the funnest things would be through play through your new game plus and have some rando person like you just contact someone online or you have someone on your friends list who's just like oh yeah i got all these guns and they would just jump into your game drop all their guns and then disconnect so their profile still had their guns on it and now all their guns are still sitting in your game so you just pick them up and save them yeah no we didn't play with any randoms or anything like that and we didn't play co-op because she prefers to just play like you know pass controller type deal which is fine i'm okay Mm -hmm. with that um but yeah we did have a mushroom companion so we used a mushroom companion that was able to revive us he would attack and he'd do different things like that uh but as a whole you know i've never been a huge fan like i played a few borderlands games in the past like just here and there just kind of getting the idea of it was never a fan uh to begin with so i thought oh tiny teams wonderland might be a little different it's from the world of borderlands but maybe you know it'll kind of flow differently no it didn't but what are you thinking about the movie coming out hey and there was a movie I guess I forgot. I remember hearing about it years ago and that it was stuck in development hell. And now they just announced it. And so many people, there's like an outcry online about people like, Kevin Hart is Roland? Uh, that was That's the big thing that people are pointing out. And I guess Jack Black is going to be the voice for Claptrap the Robot, which I was like, well, why if if he was a voice all along, why aren't we just putting the voice actor from the game in as Claptrap? You would think. Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't understand. You, I'm not going to see a movie just because Jack Black's doing the voice of the character. I mean, yeah, Kung Fu Pandas 4 is coming out, but I don't remember seeing it 3. And it's, it's still geared towards, you know, maybe a younger audience anyway. So. We talked about this with uh, Chuck Huber a long time ago, it, and it was regarding, like, you know, when it comes to movies like, for example, the Mario movie and not using the original voice actors, they said, well, it kind of comes down to um, algorithms that are built out that say, like, apparently Hollywood has some sort of algorithm to say, okay, if you insert, like, this person, this person, this person, these high-profile names into a movie, what type of revenue can we anticipate the gross just based on the fact of the notoriety of those individuals that are in the film? And so if you have, like, Charles Martinet and somebody else, right, is that going to draw as many eyes to it as, oh, well, it's Jack Black, and it's The Rock, and it's this person, this person. The answer is usually no. Those name, those voice actor names are not going to draw as much because they don't have the same star power. With that idea, I can see they algorithm this movie. Because, like, Kate Blanchett looks good for the character she's playing, but the character she's playing is supposed to be in her late 20s, early 30s. And if they ever expect this movie to run further, she's 54 now. Yeah. Well, and she's gonna, she looks great for her age. But eventually, everyone hits a wall. Yeah. Does, <laughs> men, women, you're going to hit that age wall. It doesn't matter where you are in Hollywood. Unless you're Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise will look like Tom Cruise. Well, that's the power of Scientology. Now. Yes. <laughs> and the- Thetans. <laughs> um, all right. Well, So as far as movie and game adaptations, I'm going to hopefully have another conversation on that pretty soon with somebody else um, on a different episode. But the last thing I've got here is uh, the other game that we played. So after we beat Tiny Teens Wonderland, we picked up The Quarry, uh, which I had a copy of already on PS5. Oh, isn't that the star-studded one? I'm trying to... There's like a... It's the Quick Time Events horror game. 
Yeah, but it's like a story you're trying to solve a murder, right? No, not really. A, no, not a murder. I'll, I'll go into it here. Um, so, spoiler alert if you haven't played The Quarry, but it's been out for a while. So, yeah, starting here. So, you basically, uh, in The Quarry, you play as a, a number of teenagers of, that have gone to a summer camp. Mm -hmm. uh, but they kick it off with two teenagers that are on their way to summer camp. They get pulled off the road and they're told, hey, um, you're not going to the camp tonight. It's too late. You got to go to the hotel. And they're like, okay, cool. So they're like, screw that guy, the cop that pulled him over. We're going to go to the camp anyways. And they get there. And as they're trying to figure out what the hell's going on, you, of course, go into a basement, which, of course, in a dark lit place in the middle of nowhere in a summer camp location, that's the best thing to do, right? Go to yeah. a basement. Well, the boyfriend gets bit by something and you're like, what the hell happened? And then you were injected with something by the cop who said, I told you to go to the hotel or motel. And here we are. And then it opens up with the quarry. And so they kick it off with like these kids at summer camp um, where so one now of, we're doing a flashback now to what that, happened at the camp. Yeah. And well, now we're at the camp, actually. So the camp is actually the thing that happened before the two people. Mm -hmm. You don't find out until later, but it actually happened like two months prior to what's happening at the summer camp. Oh, OK. So the summer camp happens and um, it's at the end of summer camp. And we're like, OK, yeah, we're all going home, blah, blah. Well, one of the guys is a horny, you know, dude about to go to college who had a fling with. One of the girls that was in the camp, one of the other camp counselors, and decides to sabotage their van uh, before leaving, and so they can't leave. And uh, the counselor's like, all right, well, I, I've got to leave. I've got to head out. Uh, stay indoors. Do not leave no matter what. And they're like, well, screw that guy. We're going to have a beer party out at the lake. Well, it turns out that um, there's werewolves around. And Okay. Yeah, and so the entire concept here is that You've got these werewolves chasing his students down. You got to take certain quick time event actions to dictate what happens. You know, are you throwing dirt? Are you hiding? Are you hanging back? Are you attacking a werewolf? Are you chopping somebody's arm off that just got bit? And so it leads this whole story of, um, you know, essentially uh, a werewolf horror story and an entire background as to like who was bit and what happens if you kill the werewolf that bit you at midnight and all these other like aspects of it. But it's pretty cool. So they have. Um, you know, like I said, it's like six teenagers, I want to say, and there's 186 potential endings to the game. Wow. In terms of, yeah, it's crazy. Like, so the two big endings are, of course, um, you can have everybody survive, all the characters that could survive, survive. Uh, you can have all of the characters die that are capable of dying in the, in the, in the game. Uh, and then, of course, there's other combinations like, okay, well, I mean, there's like 12 different people that could potentially like live or die. So I think that sort of combination comes into play. Um, and of course, there's all these different paths. So like we had one where you're fighting over a shotgun with somebody and it's like this old lady. She's like, no, I'm trying to protect you. Give me the gun. And like you fire it and blow her face off. And it <laughs> shows like her face and eyeballs and tongue sticking out and all this crazy stuff. Um, but like you can choose to do so that or something else. There would be a tongue left. There would not. No. Uh, but there's that, um, you know, you can choose at the end if you want to kill the main werewolf, if you want to let it live, which, of course, there's a whole thing that's tied to that. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's pretty insane, like just all the different possible endings and the story, like graphically, it's not the best, but the story was phenomenal. Like we really enjoyed that story. Does it seem more like a telltale game? Um, what do you mean as far as like a telltale game? Like like, uh, like the Walking, like walking Dead type Walking Dead stuff? or no. Tales from the Borderlands or any of the no, I mean, games? No, this felt much like Heavy Rain or uh, Detroit Becoming Human, those types of games where okay. you have like a, you know, a story built in Beyond Two Souls. 
um, where you just have a general story played out and you just kind of watch it at the end when you're done with the game, you can actually play in, um, sorry, it's some in my throat. You can actually play in movie mode. So you can just watch everything happen as it should have happened. So if it says like all players live, so you watch movie mode and you can straight up watch from start to finish like actions that you should have taken. So like, uh, at the beginning, the first thing you can do is a phone is falling from the dashboard of the car and you can literally like reach out to grab it or you can let it fall. Right. And like that path determines what's going to actively happen down the road as well. So little things like that. And, um, you know, it just kind of plays it all the way through with the actions that you should have taken to get the best possible ending and the actions you should have taken to get the worst possible ending. And it plays it out like that for you. But so it I mean, lets you watch them. Lets you just straight watch the whole game. Like if you're watching Ooh. a Let's Play, except you have no commentary and you're just watching a video game. Ooh, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. What, is it, what does it run like from start to finish? Like three hours? Uh, I mean, we beat it within the week. Um, I would say depends on how much you're looking around for like investigating stuff. Um, but, oh, on the times when you can free roam and yeah, yeah, when you can free roam, like what you're doing. Um, and there's things that you have to do in free roam to like, you know, oh, you have to get a certain combination or a certain item to be able to open up a lock type of stuff. Um, let's see. So we started playing it on Sunday. We usually play about an hour and a half a day. So I would say it's about eight nine hours at most, all the way through. Okay. But you got to consider that like those free play moments, you wouldn't be doing that in uh, movie mode because the movie mode is just straight. I think no. I was getting it confused with there's a who's the the guy who uh, played I think Iceman in the X Men movies. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He was Lamplighter in one of the seasons of uh, um, the Boys. Yeah, but he he was in um, I want to say it was like another summer camp game with him and a couple other like decently known actors who were doing like full mocap and their voices for that. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I think I got that. I think that starts with a Q too. Um, so it is nine hours. I just looked on how long to beat.com okay. and yeah, nine hours is the average for that title. All right. It's worth it. I mean, I, we enjoyed it. We had a good time with it. Yeah. It might be something that uh, my fiance might like, cause she's not somebody who games. I've she's, got a, she's a hardcore Sudoku player. I've got a game for you guys then. We're done recording. Have you played Until Dawn yet? No. If she likes the horror type stuff. 360 or Xbox? PS4. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. So if you like the horror type stuff, right? Something to sit through. This one's vampire focused instead. Um, but it was the first, one of the first QTE games that I played. We loved it. It was oh, great. Right on. Yeah. It's totally worth So yeah, I can loan it to you if you want. Um, all right. Let's get into our overall discussion here. I closed it out. So let me just pull up the uh, first one here. So the first piece here for Dungeons & Dragons is tips and tricks for playing D&D online, various tools, platforms to enhance the experience. So I'll kick it off here. I mean, the the biggest thing that, you know, I've done, and I guess from a DMing perspective and both a player perspective. So DMing-wise, I went the route with, in of course, Avernus, where we opted to have a webcam that, fo that faced down on the actual, um, you know, screen or mat that we were playing yeah. on. So that way, the person on the other end, one individual... Uh, but you could do several uh, on Discord, was able to actually listen in, could interact with us. We could see him on camera. He could see our faces on camera with a laptop turned around. And then when it came down for battles, we were able to kind of just rotate really quickly to show the entire map so he could actually, from a physical standpoint, see what was happening. Uh, so that's the first one. And, you know, when it came to playing in that manner, for me as a DM, it was an absolute pain in the ass. 
Yeah, it's a headache to deal with. I it, mean, I did it once. Lot. To bring in, I brought back a player who had to leave our group because she moved cross country for a job. And I brought her back and her character for like a two session arc. Um, And the first session, I'm like trying to push you guys to get through so I can introduce her because it was going to be a surprise. And she sat there for like an hour and 15 minutes, like just waiting for you guys to stop shopping and going and doing like little ancillary things to get on the road and i learned a lot from that experience like i'll just bring you in when it's time yeah um just but the second ready. one was pretty good you know she got to see a little bit but it was um as far as online tools go i've been using i uh, i've i use roll 20 for the most part um maps i don't have the patience to create maps i find digital images all the time that i can just um you know, just save as an import and then resize if I need to or bring it up in MS Paint or even Photoshop and edit out the edges or whatever I need to do to make it fit. Um, there's also, like, uh, with Roll20, you make tokens for your characters. So there's a nice uh, token creator. I wish I could name the URL off. If you if you typed in um, token creator into Google, it's in like one Google. of the top two. It's like called, like, Token2. <laughs> yes, not Tolkien. Not Tolkien. It's Tolkien. 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 Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you can pick a border. You can pick uh, your picture, line it up, and you just make a little PNG file of it. Drop that in for your character. Uh, use that a lot. And then, um, as far as like just editing, I mean, Roll Twenty's got a lot of stuff on it, but there's a lot of things it doesn't have, and the the UI is kind of touchy. So they'll make changes all the time. For instance. Uh, a guy I play with who DMs a specific game that I play online, uh, he had all his stuff organized on Roll20, and then they did an update, and all of his files, like all of his folders, disappeared. Damn. So all of his maps were there, but he had like four to 500 plus maps all organized by like terrain and like time of day Ooh. and like a whole bunch of stuff. So he had them all detailed and organized, and then it just alphabetized them. So now he had to go through and reorganize because they did something on their end that just broke his system. Yeah, Roll20 for me, you know, I've, I've used it in two instances. I never used it as a DM, although, well, yeah, I have used it as a DM, but not to the extent of, like, all my players are online, right? Uh, so I'll get to that in a second. But from a player perspective, I really like it because it has a Shadow of War component to it. So, or Fog of War. So being able to not see what's happening on the map and the what's tied to that, I think, is actually kind of nice. It's one of the reasons that I downloaded uh, Dynamic Dungeons, um, because that particular application has the ability for you to put a fog of war, and then you can kind of do what you need to do. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that the laptop that we use to run it is not strong enough to be able to support Dynamic Dungeons, and so with that, I need to actually get a better laptop. Um, but my uh, wife's laptop's like five, six years old, so like I think any modern-day laptop will suffice. For well, that. I have a modern i have like a computer that's about a year old but i had to quick buy it because when i moved my computer took a dump for whatever reason so i mean i was able to transfer all my stuff onto the new hard drive but it's not fast enough even for roll 20 um so roll 20 has like different layers that you can go to so you have your token layer you have your gm layer and you have a lighting layer and then you have your map layer um and the lighting layer 
on those maps, there's the hard walls and then there's the movable ones. So like you can open up a doorway. So now the door's open and they can see through the doorway or um, various other things that you can use. But literally clicking it and trying to drag it, it's slowly skipping across the, through the window because it just it can't handle yeah. the processing. And that, that is another thing with Roll20. The bigger the map, the more issues you may have if your computer's not up to speed. Uh, even though the, there's no download, you don't have to do anything. It's all browser-based, but it's processing real-time from the internet as you're yeah. doing stuff. And it, it just, it, it'll slow down, or you may have a, a map that doesn't render right, or all of a sudden lighting issues will pop up. And um, that's always an, an additional thing. If you want to play with lighting, which is awesome, and it gives a really nice immersion to the game, and um, I mean, there's little things like for Roll20, you can literally click your token sometimes depending on the map settings and you can drag if the opening is there you can drag your token around the map without letting go and look in all the rooms and see everything and then you just bring your token back and drop it right where it was and nobody knows that token got moved it doesn't it doesn't reveal anything through the fog of war permanently because you haven't actually booed, but you did go past that. Yeah. So now the rooms are kind of outlined. Maybe the tokens that were there are not visible to you, but like the static um, map image is. Yeah. So you have a kind of a layout. And um, there's there was an option to stop that. It's gone. I don't know where it's located now. If they moved it, the tool... But it used to be a thing where you could make sure that no, no one can move their token, um, you know, without like it showing that they're moving their token. Well, and so what I was referring to and the other thing that I've done with Roll20 is from an in-person gaming uh, aspect. And of course, this kind of deviates from the online piece. But, you know, you can also use Roll20 if you've got like in my case, I have a TV set up and the maps and all of that built in. But if I have a particular session where I really want to have that fog of war, so it's like, hey, you guys are going into an actual dungeon or you guys are going to do a heist for a certain building. Like there's certain things that I don't want you to see because I don't want you to turn the corner and know, oh, I could just go into this room and it's going to be okay. Or like, oh, I can just check out these other five rooms. Like I want you to miss magical items. I want you to miss certain things. Mm-hmm. And you only get that in fog of war. Otherwise, it's just like, okay, we're going to check every single room to see what's happening. Well, yeah, I mean, some things, though, you don't even have to put on the map, but you know they're there. So they still would have to go in and check, even if they went into the room or even if they looked or even if you had somebody clicking and dragging around on the map and going in and, you know, taking a sneak peek. They're not going to see anything unless you drop it in. Well, and the problem is we have smarter players, right? So our players will generally say... Uh, all right, well, I'm going to perception check and investigate this whole room and I'm going to do it for every room. So, and then like even you in particular, you've always used, um, the ability to see magical items, right? I forget the, whichever spell it is. Yeah, detect magic. So now I've gotten accustomed to things are hidden behind steel boxes that you can't detect magic. Well, I mean, one other way you could do it is, um, just flavor wise, you can depend on the magical, like the magical aura that's given off the item. You can just flavor it as... Well, it's a lesser enchantment, or it's not a power, as powerful an item. So, yes, you can see the magic, but still have a perception check for it. And if it just kind of, if it's in the dark, maybe I do see it because it stands out like a beacon. 
But if it's just in a decently lit room hidden behind a few things, it may be easy for my eyes to wander over a little background glow, you know? Yeah, no, my shit's being hid behind lead boxes from now on for you. Uh, and behind four foot brick walls. Yeah, you don't sense anything, Joel, when you walk in this building. Just just wait until people start arguing real physics into a magic game. Oh, well, that's what we're going into now. So let's talk about the challenges of controversies in D&D. So rule disputes, ethical dilemmas, social issues. Um, you know, that I, I think I've talked about a few in the past. Like, we run into situations where it's like you're trying to DM and somebody brings in the real world aspect, right? Or they bring in something like, well, that wouldn't happen or, or that's not possible. Or, you know, they just, there's a little bit of a tangent that might go on as to why something shouldn't have happened. It's like, let's bring it all back to this alternate reality that we are playing Dungeons and Dragons and a DM is making ultimately the decisions and direction of how this campaign needs to be agreed there's there's two things you have to prevent and i believe we talked about it before yeah um i in my mind there's two things like with that rule number one if it is rules as written and you're trying to run as close to the rules as possible and it's not something where you've homebrewed it ahead of time and you've given everyone the heads up this is how we're going to do this game Mm -hmm. so i always defer to the rules as written and if something's not working or if I've gotten something wrong, okay, we're going to, I'm not going to ruin your guys' expectation for that moving forward within this game. Yeah. Going forward after this particular session, the rule has now been changed. Plan accordingly. And see, what I'll do typically is take it back, right? So if I've said, okay, this happens, so he says, well, no, that's not possible. And so he says, the book says specifically this, because obviously we're not going to remember every single rule in the right. book, right? It's just, there's way too many rules. It's decades of D&D, right? Like it takes a while to get this stuff down pat. And like, I'm still learning every single session, I feel sometimes when I'm DMing as well as playing. So, you know, when it comes to that, if somebody's like, no, the rule actually says this, it's like, okay, yeah, let's take that. Let's revert that back. This actually does or does not happen based on the fact that the rules are as such. Now, if there are certain like, flavor elements and you and i both do this we create flavor flavor elements within our campaign and within sessions to kind of help describe what's happening or if there's like an attack or a battle or whatever is going on we usually will flavor it in such a manner and sometimes it gets kicked up of like well that's not possible it's like no but it is right now some of it is um one of the things that i figured out early on and it's it's something that i try to adhere to is I can flavor however I would like to to entertain my players, but I can't flavor what my players would do in a circumstance because then that's taking my players' agency away from their response in that regard. So um, when it comes to hits or misses or describing a spell, um, unless it's a you know, kind of a big bad you want to let uh, or something that they've been they've been fighting for a while and you want to let the player describe how they want to kill it or they give you some kind of just a generic description and you want to flavor it and take it up. That's always fine. But like, um, you know, sometimes rolling um, an outcome to a skill check yeah, or a... Um, what somebody may particularly say in the moment based on, let's say, they go to do a persuasion and uh, someone flavors it like, well, you say this. Well, 
don't put the words in their mouth. Just kind of say something along the lines of, well, you stutter and stammer or your words just don't quite land and then move on. Because when you run into uh, that idea of, well, I'm going to spice this up and kind of act this out. If you're doing it for the character, Mm -hmm. you're taking away their choice in that matter. Yep. And so then you're going to get pushback. Oh, yeah. I screw up on that all the time. That's a bad one. Um, now one, and one thing though is, and you brought up with DC checks, right? So like there are instances in, in both our campaigns that we've run and I'm sure other campaigns you've been into where maybe the DC is legit a 30 that needs to be hit because like, you just don't want your players to go that route because they're not either supposed to go that route or it's going to deviate way too far off the session from what they're trying to accomplish or if quite frankly, there's just nothing there, right? So now you're kind of battled against time. Well, there's, there's two ways to go about that. You can... Number one, either don't put the DC in, yeah. let them make that exploration, let them find nothing, mm-hmm. even if they roll incredible. No, there was nothing to find. Sometimes the room has been picked clean. Yep. As best as you, as much as you want to find that special hidden item, there's no hidden item yeah. there. And other times, like... My favorite response, by the way, is like, even though it was a 27, it's like, yeah, you don't find anything. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> here. in there. Um, as far as like, I guess sometimes if one of the key things is if you don't want your players to know something yeah, or you don't want them to go down a particular avenue, do not even bring up the choice or the possibility. Um, and if they ask if they could, it, like it, if you give them that option or if you give them a chance to. Uh, explore, you know, you, you have players that will try to explore. If you don't want them to explore, just don't even do it. Like, for example, um, tying anything that's important to the outcome of a role. Yeah. Um, if, it, if it has to do with the story, they find it. It, it. You walk into an office, you're looking for paperwork to exonerate a captain who's been falsely accused of murder. Um, the mayor set him up. And here's the letter he wrote, or here's like a letter back from the person demanding the money that they got. Okay, that's part of the plot. They fucking find that. They go into the room. They snuck in. They're searching all over. They're, they can roll a natural one. They're yeah. going to find that. You have to at that point. Yes. Anything beyond that, though, becomes the tie to the roll. You also find this with that role or you find this you find that but they'll never not get what they need to move the story along or advance the plot in some way unless you have created multiple avenues for them to get to the same place and then you can maybe say well you didn't find anything but knowing that they're going to check out something else or moving the story in some kind of like parallel path that will meet up to where they need to go anyway so they still have this option in which case then you do have to default on that second trail to say, yeah, here's, here's the clues that you find. It's pretty blatant. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, hey, no reward because you roll like dog shit. Yeah. Well, then you all, you do run into situations too where I think we had in Strixhaven, there was like a big manor that you had to go through, right? Mm-hmm. And it was there's all these different locations and opportunities, ways to get in the building. And I think you guys were like, well, we're just going to bust down the door, like kick it down. I'm like, it's a big ass door. And it was like, no, we'll we'll just, whatever the situation was, or we'll lockpick or something like that. Like, we're talking about School of Magic, right? Like, a a normal lockpick is just normally not going to work on potentially an enchanted door. Sure. So it was like, 
okay, well, go ahead and lockpick. And I think it was like a 25 that was rolled. I'm like, no. It and I just got the look of like, well, what do you mean? It's a 25. Like, I'm a level, you know, four character, three characters. Like, no, it doesn't work. Like, yeah, but then you get the pushback. Great. And it's like, there are other, like, but then you have to do the reminder of like, there are other ways to enter this building. You need to seek them out. Like, you need to investigate. Your first option is not always. I think we always, went through the window on that. You did go through the window on that, ultimately. I think you went through like the back patio of the building. Yeah, and if I didn't have my little homunculus, that would have been a different story too in the beginning. Yeah. So like, you guys found an alternate method, but you know, it's the initial like, well, why aren't you letting me do that? It's like, there are other methods. Like, why would, if you were to have gone through the front door, for example, there was like several animated sculptures already just kind of go in and like wallop you guys, right? Like, Yeah, it was, a, it was more like a weeping angel scenario that they would move on us when we weren't looking at them. Yeah, exactly. So I just had my homunculus stare at them. Yeah. Pretty much. And, and pretty, yeah, and you guys would have had a weeping angel situation on your hand if you yeah. didn't in that instance. But like there was literally like statues everywhere within that particular room. You guys would have been TPK if I would have gone that route said, yeah, sure. A 25 gets you into the door. No problem. The DC in the book was actually pretty high. Um, but I made sure to just kind of set it higher than what I wanted for that particular instance because I, I wanted you guys to kind of from a story aspect, explore the surrounding, explore the building and see what else there was to offer there other well, you, than just... You're right. And you it's, know. it's one of those things where you, you you have to draw that line between allowing access and not allowing access, but you can't... But there are multiple access points too. But you can't make it seem like you're trying to control the access. So, but for example, that, like that door... Um, but that's the I, issue I, though, is that... When you, when you say, yeah, you try to pick the lock, it's just not working, it snaps or it may be, and you get the response back, and it's like, no, you just don't get in. Like, there's no way around that to tell a player. There isn't. You well, don't with get access. D&D, one of the things you can do is you could always say it's there's arcane locks. There's always um, magical ways to keeping a door closed or, you know. And that's ultimately really what we did in that instance. Through it, yeah. Right. And at that level, and with that those that party of people, no one had an ability to dispel magic, yeah. so get rid of an arcane lock. No one had the ability to, or cast knock. No one had that in the group, so there was very little option. And letting someone lock pick it, you know, it maybe even skewing that description um, as they pick it. But you got to let them do it, though. Well, you you can. But like you can, you can also take it away. Like when they go up to inspect the lock, they see a you know a magical shimmer around the lock. So now there's something else there that their lock picking abilities is not going to overcome because their ability is based in mechanics rather than magic. And that's like we're we're dealing with a physical object that they could manipulate and roll perfectly on and masterfully succeed at Mm -hmm. but you're not going to get past this magic because you don't have the ability to and if you do all right do it and here's the scenario you guys have detention now because you got knocked out and you got caught going where you were going whatever the consequence may be since death doesn't seem to be too big of an issue here in in that campaign so, yeah, I mean, it just varies. And that's obviously one of the social issues you kind of overcome, too, because now, you know, to look at it from a social aspect, now you have to have that kind of democratic process or, you know, discussion with players as to like why something isn't happening, 
why it is happening. I'll give you a good example, too. Uh, In a game I was DMing online recently, um, the DC in the book to pick this lock was a 20. Yep. And I decided that if they failed beforehand, DCs get harder. Because I'm not going to have somebody just sit there and pick the lock, pick the lock, pick the lock. Oh, I finally succeeded. Mm -hmm. Um, I also put a hard cutoff at three tries for anything regarding this door. So the door requires a special, it it says in the book, a special ornate dragon-shaped key. Um, But it also has a DC of 20. We're dealing with level one, level two characters. So definitely difficult for someone like that. Um, The first roll to pick the lock was an 18. Uh, You just don't quite get it. Now it's at a 22. Another character who has a higher lock picking skill tries again actually rolled a 21 sorry it's still not there it seems that the other person got a pin stuck and you just can't quite get it undone and it's really frustrating because you think you were pretty close so now they try to force the door i'm keeping the dc going up because it's still like you're trying to find a different path however you're still trying to brute force your way past this door yeah i know you can argue lock picking versus um like breaking a door down but in this regard this is a special door it's like a stone slotted door so it's gonna like like raise up once it's picked up or the lock is picked or the actual keys inserted so it's not one of those ones that you could just bash through and i described that to them and i let them try they use a crowbar they end up with a 22 yeah well you've beaten each old DC, but the DC is now 24. Yeah. And someone else said, well, I want to try again. Try one more time. I said, fine. One last try. DC is now 26. Even though I'm going past my rule of three, they get a 24. Still didn't beat the new DC. Yeah. And like, granted, I could have let them in. I could have let them go through. But I told them straight up, every failure makes the DC harder mm-hmm. from wherever it starts. And it's, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to play out. And so they were, they, their argument was, well, it's, we're trying to force the door open instead of pick the lock. I said, either way, you're trying to get past the door without the key that's meant for it. Yeah. And that's a good point, right? There's a key. And it's a special door. It's not a standard wooden door. Even the door in like, in that uh, manner, for example, I, I describe them as very large, heavy wooden doors, right? So there wasn't an asset. And there, I did mention as well, um, in that session that there seemed to be a magical barrier of sorts around the building that could potentially prevent you from entering in certain areas. When you guys made your way up to the balcony, it was determined, oh, there isn't a barrier on those doors because they're high enough up that we'll have to, act. nobody would think I got to climb, scale the building to go through the back doors and pick those locks, right? So like there were things built in other manners to kind of experience that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like, and you've done that for our campaign with Witchlight and Homebrew on numerous occasions where it's like, hey, the DC's getting harder. Um, and you know, when you start tying in things like exhaustion, it gets even harder after that. Right. Cause now you're rolling at disadvantage. So, yeah, you know, those are, those are things there. I do know what was like three weeks ago, we had, um, a test session for mine and I had the professor grading you guys on a harder scale and he was Ooh. like, what the hell's happened? Like, why is it? I'm like, well, there's a few things that factor in. You guys are all tired, right? Cause you were battling the entire night before. Now yeah. you're taking And this it test. made sense. You justified it. Yeah. And I really, I personally didn't have an issue. Oh, I know once, you didn't. <laughs> once I learned what you were doing, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah. And also this is now giving us another plot because it was, the idea was that the professor 
was grading us on a tougher curve because apparently we were the star students and he was also resentful of that fact. So, mm -hmm. which was very much in the very end, like you guys experienced that very early on. So I've been trying to tie in things that have happened earlier in the year. This professor, so for folks that are listening, I have tried to make this like Harry Potter-esque in some way. So like this is our professor Lockhart in, I think it's Lockhart is a guy that wrote so. the book and all that. Yeah, so that's him and he basically takes credit. So they destroyed some sort of creature that came out of it was like a, a demon. demon. A kid accidentally summoned a demon in yep. class. You guys destroyed it, but he took credit for it and told the professors, oh yeah, I expelled that demon. I've written all these books and all these other crazy things. And he took the credit because, well, you guys did what he should have been doing, right? And so he took that credit. And so when it came down to the grading on a scale, it was like, well, you know, um, you know, in, in the instance, I think I, I explained it to you guys, but I didn't tell you as a professor. I explained to you in a metagame aspect of, look, you guys were, you know, battling the entire night before. You're tired. So there's going to be instances of, you know, your grading may not be that great um, or your, your work might not be that great. And then you also have to take into consideration that he is he might be resentful towards you because of X things that have occurred in the past. And so he's grading you on a tougher scale because you are a lot more than what you make out to be in this class, right? You were smarter, you're better than a lot of students in the class. So he thinks that you should be graded on a higher scale, right? right? And so that makes sense. And professors oftentimes will challenge, but this guy has a resentful aspect. But then I have to build it in of like, look, you guys suspect this, but you can't prove it. Like you can't prove, and I think you had actually said, "I'm going to take the tests off the desk," and I'm like, "Nope, he doesn't. He's got them in his hands. Like he's grabbing them, he's grading them, he's kind of talking to people as he goes along." So you know, there's little things that kind of have to be built into that, and then you do get into, as I said, the social aspects of like having to explain yourself, and it always, in my mind, it always kind of goes back to the rule zero component, right? Like, look, I'm the DM. I'm trying to tell a story here. I'm trying to make it happen. Like. Let's play the game. If something is like overtly broken because it's not following rules to a standard, like we're not following the rules at all, then let's call it out. Well, I think but if there's it, flavorable aspects kind of being plugged in as a DM, like kind of roll with it, play with it. Expectations. Like, I, I understand that expectations have to be set ahead of time. And I'm not saying that you didn't do this, but it's something that has to be done in any session. Yeah. For example, with my homebrew. I put out plot hooks and I put out side quests oh, and I, I let you guys do pretty much whatever you want. Although it's very clear where you should go um, and what you should be doing, but go ahead, do what you guys really want. And I have that flexibility. And when we started Witchlight, I said, okay, this is going to be way different. This is, I, you're, it's going to feel like I'm railroading you because there are only so many ways I plan to run this campaign. So, you know, there's options in the book that, hey, they access a fairy ring and they transport to another plane of existence. Have fun with where they go. Nah, I'm not going to have you guys leave the story of the campaign. Now, you can approach any of the problems how you would like. Uh, I think the last one uh, was uh, you guys uh, were thinking about going to... Um, it's these two groups, without spoiling anything, within the Witchlight, these two groups that are kind of fighting one another in a particular area. And uh, you guys met Group A first. You allied yourselves with them. You were trying to get them to your side to help you with your ultimate goal. And one of the things they said was basically, go take care of Group B. And so I planned, told you guys there was a whole thing about, you know, gaining the different members of this group's allegiance. And there was like a whole bunch of stuff to do um, 
which was, you know, a lot of fun. Like some of them were skill challenges. Some of them were puzzles. They were all like various things, uh, kind of change it up rather than simply just battle, battle, battle. And the first words out of uh, your wife's mouth was uh, when it came to what are we going to do? It's like, well, let's go all the way across the map and take out those guys that we said we would and then come back. And I said, okay, I'm not going to stop you if you want to do that. But just to let you know, I planned for you to do all the stuff with these, this group A while you were here where all the stuff for group A should be happening. Yeah. And I said, you can choose to do that. But remember, it's gonna, you got to travel there and then you got to travel back. And then do all the group and A And then stuff. do all this stuff anyway. So you're going to be taking up like, you know, half a day to roundabout trip that depending on how long you're going to be at group B. And so everyone was like, uh, uh, all right, I guess we'll just do the stuff here. And I'm like, I'm not trying to force your hand, but this is what the DM has prepared for tonight. Yeah, pretty much. And I've done that too. It's like, yeah, you can do that, but like, I don't have anything written for that. And I've had ad hoc stuff all the time. And I've talked about it, you know, where I've just pulled stuff out of a hat and it's like, you know, you guys will have a, you're like, oh, I want to have a conversation with this person. I'm like, well, this person's name is Jimmy, and uh, Jimmy. Well, what does Jimmy look like? Well, he's a high elf, and he's six foot two, and has pale skin and uh, nice blonde hair. That, that's about it. That's, that's in, in the meantime, you furiously have to be making a note. Oh yeah, I have to make a note because Jimmy may be a recurring character. He may not be a recurring character down the road. Uh, so yeah, I totally get what you mean there. On and it's it's not an aspect of railroading so much as you have content prepared and you are trying to stick to that particular content because that's what's prepared. And like, if you have to deviate, that's fine, but you have to somehow make your way back to point a or the path of a versus this random. Path. Well, it all depends on what you're prepared to do. Yeah. So like with my homebrew, I do, I sketch out. That's why the preparation takes so long. I, yeah. I sketch out probably three or four paths. I think you guys are heading in. And then I really flesh out maybe the one I believe. That's why I'm always asking, okay, so what are we doing next week? Tell me where you're going. What are you doing? Yeah. And that's what I put my concentration on. Um, but if at any point you guys skew off, I got a few things. I got, I got at least a little bit of railroad tracks in my arms that I can lay in front. And like just keep building because you've changed. Well, see, that's why in Strixhaven I've brought in the Auric, right? And you, so you had initially brought that to me as a potential, like, hey, you know, there's this great, like, you know, side quest story that's built in where there's an attack that happens within the library, right? That's well, like, I never really, I never really looked that up. I just so, found a bunch of Strixhaven stuff. So you actually sent me the initial Auric. Yeah, it was thing. for your birthday. Yeah. So, so you, I just, I, I gifted John yeah. a whole bunch of just third-party material regarding this particular campaign book. So I pulled the Auric from that, and there was the Auric thing was there was a battle that was supposed to happen with um, the Mage Hunter and other types of creatures, right? And so, you know, I built it in, but, like, after that one thing, I was like, well, this should be, like, a central, like, plot point for this campaign, and I can make them recurring characters. And in the uh, off, you know, in the event that you guys are like, oh, well, we don't want to do that. We want to go this path. I already have kind of pre-built like auric things that could happen that happen when that occurs. Sure. Right? Like we're going to the swamp instead. Okay, well, you guys go to the swamp and now this is happening. So that's kind of the direction I've taken with that. So having like almost a pre-built like second campaign built in and it's kind of how I structured that auric campaign part is you have all these great things happening in Strixhaven, your core things, that the functions that happen within the book, your main, you know, 
oh, well, we're doing this tournament or we are going to be handling like a play and all these other things that are kind of already streamlined throughout the book. But the Auric is that like side quest campaign that's always kind of staying there. That's kind of interweaved into the actual uh, main book. And so that's just kind of the way I built it out to uh, kind of offset the fact that this book is truly railroaded in that there's just not a lot to work with. Right? I, it's, it's, it's pretty bare bones. Yeah. I mean, um, I have the same book. And when you said you were going to read it I, or when you were going to run it, I was like, okay, don't go into the campaign, but read the rest of it. Get yourself kind of familiar with it. And it is one of those things where here are some ideas. You figure it out. Yeah. Um, and while the setting itself is really fleshed out, the content of the different classes is not. No. Whereas I feel it's the opposite way with Witchlight, where there is so much fleshed out for most of it. Mm-hmm. I, I have been running you guys through a lot of third-party stuff, but I figure it that stuff really ties in in certain ways and makes it a little the story a little more connective. Um, it also brings in other fairy tale elements. Like there's elements of um, Wizard of Oz. Um, the third there was third party elements that were uh, had to go with like Peter Pan, and Captain Hook. Yep, that um, was fun. And then there was also like the missing children aspect. So who doesn't want to be the hero that saves the kids? Um, unless you're playing one of the evil characters and you're like, eh, yeah. Was, is there any gold in it? No? <laughs> nope. All right. Uh, Which is also a, a nice little factor in this game where because gold practically means nothing in this campaign. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there's no shops. There's really nothing for you to... It's finding magic items and making deals and helping people out and they're gifting you boons and things. Yeah, well, even in, you know, Strixhaven, or there's like one central shop on campus, like you would a campus There's going to be store. two. There's going to be two. There, there, it's true. <laughs> Joel's running Amazon on campus. Um, so. I've, cre- I've created a, uh, I started off going Breaking Bad, and I created the three cups of coffee and a single blue pill yeah. on campus. And now that I've earned enough money through that, I am now branching out, and uh, I'm going to become a conglomerate and shut down the little guy. Yeah, the little guy being Groff Lundquist. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, well, let's uh, dive into our last topic here. Um, I hear pizza is being made out there, so we might want to end here pretty soon. Uh, this is uh, playing with level 20 characters. Is it worth the hype? I say it depends. Right? Depends on the character. Depends on... What you're fighting. Wh- how the adventure is laid out. Now, I am of the belief, and I've seen level 20 characters play. I've also seen, um, you know... Sometimes it's just a fun campaign and everyone's just supposed to whoop ass the whole time. If that's your goal, great. I still want there to be challenges. Mm-hmm. So the only way you can get around that with level 20 characters. Got that burp, maybe. I don't but, think uh, it'll come through. So you're good. All right. Yeah. Joel burps, uh, but it's not going to be in the episode. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry. It may, it may not have been loud enough. But um, the only way I can see it working through is number one do not ever give your level 20 characters game-breaking items, such as anything that lets you wish. Uh, If your characters are high enough that they've taken the spell wish, um, the only way you can really do... If it's a long campaign, and it's supposed to be a high magic campaign, then it 
go for it. Like do as much crazy shit as you want to do. But most of the time when you get to that level, it's the balancing system with current fifth edition D and D. It doesn't quite work out for a team of five uh, level 20 characters or even four. Sometimes if you have a smaller group, it can kind of balance out because of the, the powers. Although depending on the classes, some of the capstone abilities really suck ass and really don't add anything to that. Um, but what you need to do is you need to resource drain your players, resource drain them. All right, we're going to short rest. All right, great. You're attacked during your short rest yep. or Hey, you go to long rest, your long rest is interrupted. Or have those encounters, like ideally you're supposed to have three encounters in a day with two short rests in between and before your characters get to long rest. I mean, I'm of the belief that if you have level 20 characters, they should be doing epic things such as being the point of a spear for an army that's going against another army and they are pushing through and destroying the biggest things that this group has. Um, which case you can use minion rules where you have large bosses with lots of HP that are very, very dangerous. Um, and then you have blocks of armies where you treat them like swarms. Yeah, And they have just a, they're going to hit you because it's a swarm of soldiers around you. You're going to get hit. How much damage you take is dependent on how big they are. And they're just going to wear you down with your abilities. You know, you blast, I don't know, a thunder wave in a group of enemies and you're taking out like, and then minions always have just one HP. Yeah. So like you just wipe them all out as you're going but through. But you have to because otherwise you're going to get pinged for some damage here or there. And then that becomes an issue as a player. Right. So yep. you, they become a danger. Um, you can have the large creatures that are just too massive. Like we talk about, there's all sorts of things online you can look up about people fighting the Tarrasque because the Tarrasque is so powerful and the Tarrasque is so dangerous. I mean, a level one player could, uh, you know, if you're an Aarakocra or have some kind of flight ability or your DM goes, everyone gets to start with an uncommon magic item and you're like, Bruma flying! And they're like, okay, you could essentially, if you had a long-range attack, just keep peppering a Tarrasque and kill it. Yeah. Because it has no ranged attack. And if you have a longbow, 600 feet, you know, even at disadvantage. I mean, eventually, ideally, you would burn it down. You would never have to be in any danger. Well, then you got to factor in things like fatigue, though, too, right? Like, so, you know. With sure, the- but, like, you're, you're talking about, at that point, you're talking player fatigue. Yeah. I've been here for three hours rolling against the same monster trying to bring it down. Yeah. So, up their attack. They hit harder now. Yeah. Or make them smarter. I mean, there's a really good... Um, I forget his name. It's Keith something, but he he um, has two books online. Uh, the monsters know what they're doing. Yep. Um, yeah, I think I got your copy at. Yep. And he's got a second one. The monsters know what they are doing too. And he breaks down all your characters and everything. And he, he, like how they would attack. How would they fight? Um, do they have any natural abilities that would give them an advantage? Take it all and use it. Drain your level 20 players. Frustrate them. Oh, they're running into a group of goblins? Awesome. They're ready for you. There's traps set up all over to bring you down. Kobolds. Yeah, you can get through a whole bunch of kobolds easy. You just wipe them out. 
Not when they got a bunch of traps and they're ready and they're well prepared. Yep. They're going to grind you up as you try to get through them. Yeah, it's a good way to do it too. And you know, my wife brought up a good point. She and I were talking about this last night before, um, as I told her, you know, hey, here's kind of what we're thinking topic wise. And her thing was like, you know, when it comes down to uh, level 20, like, you know, homebrew the enemy at that point, right? Like take what would be normally a gargantuan enemy, whatever it may be, and say it's still too weak for level 20 characters, amp it up, you know, higher attack for that particular enemy, raise up the HP, raise up the AC, I don't know, given an extra, you know, um, uh, what is it, legendary action. Like, there's things that you can do uh, to those creatures to kind of, like, amp it up. And she had referred to me uh, a campaign that she was watching, not a critical role, uh, High Rollers. And basically, Ooh. like, the understanding was, like, these characters were such a high level that they were basically gods. And when everything was all said and done, uh, they were actually offered positions as titans in the campaign because, like, that's how strong they were. So it justified the fact that they were ridiculously op at that point yeah i mean there's lots of different routes and i've also heard people building out you know um yep we're going to level 30 what yep they just homebrew extra levels for their characters classes and you know i've heard of giant massive fights with this group versus you know armies and things from outside the DD universe that are being brought in just to simply fight them I mean, the people take it whichever direction they want. Level 20 is going to be great if you're prepared to run a level 20 group. If you have no experience, go in with the idea that this is going to be either whatever you have prepared is going to be wiped away very quickly or whatever you have prepared is going to be such a slog your players are going to get bored. Yep. especially if you do it the first time. That's why you never, never, don't run a level 20 campaign if you have no idea how to run Scale or, up. Or, or your first level 20 campaign. Start, oh, do just do a one shot, okay? Or have a battle royale or have something where the players can feel out those characters too. Because here's the thing, with unless they've played those characters and grinded them up to 20, in which case you should have a knowledge of how to balance a level 20 encounter mm -hmm. uh, because you've been doing a level 17, level 18, level 19 encounters. So you, are, as a DM, should be getting progressively better. They don't know how to play their characters. They don't know all their abilities. They don't know what to do. And it's I, I see it all the time whenever I have large campaigns when I run for friends. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to pick anybody out, but my two buddies' wives, they're not into it as much. They like playing. They like the social aspect, but they do zero research on their characters. They do zero research on their builds. My fiance, she does her research, but she's got so many characters in her head, she sometimes gets them mixed up. Oh, she's I know. Like, oh, I don't. Oh, I don't have that ability on this week because yeah. I'm not playing that character this week. She'll call her her character her other character's name sometimes. Like, uh, who who's that character? Yeah, <laughs> but like my buddy's wives, they they are invested when they're there. But if I'm like, hey guys, we're gonna do a one shot. I call it a one shot, but it'll probably take two or three sessions. Um, and everyone's level ten. I have doomed them because now I know I have built in where they're going to hem and haw, have no idea what to do because there's so many choices to choose from yep. with this new character that they built out. So, I mean, it's like <laughs> if, if you want to run a level 20 campaign, do it with experienced players, do it with people who, or have you've grounded out, you've taken them from 
three or one all the way through 20. And they've learned themselves uh, as they've gone along. They've learned how to play those characters and you've learned how to DM and it can be really rewarding. But if it's your first time, don't it's, it's one of those, it's not a rewarding deep end to jump into. Yeah. As long as, but I mean, if, as long as everyone's going to have fun, I mean, you kind of do what you want. It's all about having fun anyway. But if you're somebody who's going to be frustrated because, hey, I prepared for a three-hour game and my players finished it in 45 minutes because they're so OP. I see it as a bonus. You're going to have a board games. Yeah, like seriously, over. I would say over-prepare at that point. But then that's me. That's why all my one-shots are two to three sessions instead of one. Because I... I build out with the idea that, oh, well, once they're done here, we'll move to here. And once they're done here, we'll move to here. And um, at least, I guess I guess it's better to have the fat to trim than run out of Because you could theoretically end the one shot wherever. You could theoretically or, end it however you want. Right. So I just mumbled that last part. But like not have enough material to do anything with. Yeah. Better to have what is it? Uh, better to have it not need it than need it not have it. Yep, exactly. Well, it sounds to me, um, I think we're saying it. Uh, it's mixed bag, right? Could be worth the hype. Um, it just depends on how you're playing, what you're playing, and uh, how prepared the DM is. So, well, dude, uh, we are going to be starting our own session here in about thirty and eating some food. So, let's uh, let's go ahead and call it. Appreciate you coming on the episode this week, and uh, we'll like to talk. D&D or maybe just video games in the future again pretty soon. All right. All right. Well, this has been... Yeah, at some point. Uh, We'll we'll see. Maybe next week. Uh, This has been episode 275 of Game Flares Podcast. My name's John. I'm Joel. And thanks for listening. 